The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. this book from chapter 1, verse 1. We're now in chapter 12, verse 12. So your Bible just kind of falls open there because we've been doing that together. And I, I hope that you've been reading that and studying it as we look at it together. We believe that God's Word is God's revelation to us. He didn't just create create us and then leave us on this planet to kind of muddle through and try to figure out what it is that we're supposed to do. But he actually reveals to us what his intentions are for the future in terms of prophecy and how we should live in the times that he has called us. When we got to chapter 12, we've been talking about how the Christian life is a little bit like running a race. And we've been talking about what that race looks like, the race of faith, as it were. And and life is like that. The, The scripture says that all of those Old Testament saints, all of the people who have lived before us, are like people who are in the stadium seats. They're all around us. We're on the track. The, the gun sounds, and we're off running the race. And we've been talking about the last couple of weeks what that looks like in the Christian life. But this morning, I want to answer the question, and literally, really, the writer of Hebrews is going to answer the question for us. We're just going to study his answers. Why many don't finish well? Um, I, I don't know how long you've been in the faith. I've been in the faith a long time now, 50 years. And uh, I'm here to tell you that in these 50 years, there were those that one time uh, attended church with us. There were those who taught the Bible. They taught uh, in life groups or Sunday school classes or Bible studies. There were those who stood up to preach and uh, who led the church in a in a, an official position like a pastor or an elder or a deacon. And along the way, I've discovered that many of those did not finish the race. They didn't finish well. They, uh, they one day turned their back on what they believed. They one day no longer proclaimed the truth of Scripture. And they one day fell into sin that really disqualified them from the leadership that they had lived out. And as I would look at those uh, examples in my life, people that I knew, people who have names that I know, and I would be saddened about their lives, I would almost always think to myself, how did he get there? How did she get there? There was a time when their faith burned passionately, a time when it burned brightly. There was a time when people would say, Oh, and he teaches the Word. I, I understand it. He was one of the best Bible teachers that I ever knew. And, and now he lives outside of faith, outside the church, outside the community of faith. And so the writer of Hebrews is going to answer this question for us. He's going to give us three answers, three different reasons of why people do not finish the race well. You've got Hebrews chapter 12 open. Turn with me to verse 12, and this is what we read. Therefore, 
lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. You still hear this this metaphor of running the race. You ever you ever run for a long time and pretty soon you know your your arms are going down and your knees aren't moving. So he's he's still talking about the race. He's talking about strengthening yourself in the race. He says, make your paths for your feet straight, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and and by it many become defiled. And that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. And you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent even though he sought it with tears. So the writer of Hebrews, using this metaphor of running the race, tells us early in the race, you take off the sweats, you take off the extra rate, you you don't get tripped by sin, and you you fix your eyes on Jesus, and he's the coach, and he's the designer of the course, and he's the one who's the all-time record holder of the race, and and all of the saints who have gone before us are cheering us on. It's the same chapter. The one who starts that metaphor now is talking about that some get in the race and you get down and you pretty soon you're just, you, you start to tire out. Pretty soon you miss the purpose of what you were called to do and it happens in three ways. The first thing that we see in this passage beginning in verse 12 is that the healing of faith lapses into the exasperation of religion. I want to say that phrase again. I want, you to, I want you to think through what it means. The healing of faith lapses into the exasperation of religion. You know, uh, for many of us, um, Satan would not be effective in our lives if he came and he tempted us to murder. Most of us, in the course of our lives, we like, no, 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 that's trouble. I'm not, I'm not falling for that temptation. Yeah, I really hate that guy, but I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to ruin my life just to take my vengeance. And so Satan fre- frequently does not come to us with uh, a, a robbing Fort Knox or a, or a serial killing or a mass murder. He doesn't, he doesn't come and tempt most people that way. He comes and tempts you, instead of with the opposite of the holiness of God, he comes and tempts us with a counterfeit to the holiness of God. And and I want you to listen very carefully. And maybe you've never heard anybody, a pastor, at least in a church, say something like this. But the thing that Satan uses to send many, maybe most people to hell, isn't the terrible sins that we could recount but man-made religion. You see, there's a difference between what God longs to have with you, a relationship. God longs to be in relationship with you. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins that he might restore the relationship that he has with mankind. When Adam and Eve chose to sin, and when each of us, when our turn came, when we chose to sin, we lose the relationship with a holy and a perfect God. 
And so that holy and perfect God restored that by sending his son Jesus, who became the holy and perfect sacrifice, who went to the cross and died for our sins, that you and I might be restored into religion? No. I, honestly, listen, listen to these words. God doesn't care about our religion. He doesn't honor a religion because it, somebody sit down and thought, oh, here are, here are some good elements of, to what religion would look like. Religion, as I'm using it this morning, as I want you to understand it, as I believe God sees it, religion is a man-made attempt to reach God. The relationship that God wants to have with you is not God's attempt, but God's perfect plan in accomplishing a plan that would reach you. You see, you could never reach God. None of us could ever reach God. We can't accomplish it. On your, on your best day, the prophet says, your righteousness is like filthy rags to God. You can't get to his holiness. You can't get to his perfection. None of us are perfect, not a single one. So God did for us what we could never do. He sent Jesus who was perfect, who lived a perfect life, who died a perfect death. And that death became the the substitute death for me, the substitute death for you, so that by it, you might have relationship with God. Now, with that understanding, if you, if you followed me that far, with that understanding then, religion is the counterfeit to that relationship. Religion, and, and there, are, there are many world religions, but the best counterfeit to that is one that looks like Christianity on the outside, but there's no gospel in it in the inside. I'm sad to say to you that in America this morning, there will be millions of people who attend a church that once preached the gospel. And they will go in it, they will sing some songs, they will hear someone say some nice words, and they will walk out And there will be nothing of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ in it. There will be nothing that points them to the relationship that God longs to have with you. This is is how we truly become sons and daughters of God. In 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 a generic sense, we're the sons of daughters of God by creation. But the sons of daughters of God by creation don't make heaven. Only the sons and daughters of God by redemption make heaven. Only then our sins forgiven. And then we enter into a relationship with God. So many uh, unbelievers that I know, when I have a chance to talk with them, sometimes the thing they ask me about is they go, you you claim that you hear God speak to you. And I say, yeah, God talks to me a lot. And they look at you like you're crazy, like you talk to ghosts. Like you, they just look at you like, well, what are you talking about? Well, the scripture says that the, the unbelieving world can't understand the things of God. They can't know them because they come with a relationship. When when I was a little boy, and uh, I lived in the days of just sandlot baseball, you know, where all the kids just got together at the one vacant lot in the neighborhood, and we played, and we'd we'd all be playing baseball until late in the day, as we we get closer to supper time, and then and then you'd hear a voice, and it'd be like it'd be like Tommy supper, and Tommy quit the game, Tommy'd grab his glove and off he'd go, and 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 then someone else would be another be another voice supper and another kid would leave and then i'd hear a voice supper time and i knew that voice it was my mother's voice the other kids didn't leave 
It wasn't their mother's voice. It was my mother's voice. I knew that voice because I had a relationship with her. When you have a relationship with God, when you, when you start to hear his voice, then pretty soon it's, it's easy to hear that voice. You open, the, you open the word of God and he speaks to you by his spirit and you know it. And Adrian Rogers, a great preacher of the Bellevue Baptist Church, someone said to him one time, so do you, you hear God's voice in an audible way? And he said, oh, no, 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 it's much louder than that. This is what, this is what relationship with God means. But, but we're talking this morning why many fail to finish the race. And it's because they fall for the counterfeit of religion and all religion can ever give you is exasperation. All it can ever do is suck the life out of you. All it can ever do is take that which gives life and make it stale and meaningless. And it's why many of your friends don't really want to come and join us because they think that we're doing religion. And they don't know that we are celebrating a relationship with the almighty God of the universe. And that's why many don't finish the race. There's a second reason in this passage that we've just read that speaks to why many don't finish the race. And that is that the relationships of grace are defiled by the bitterness of self. Uh, Let me repeat this one again too, because I want you to think it through. The relationships of grace are defiled by the bitterness of self. Now, we've just talked about a relationship with God. That's the single most important relationship that you'll ever have in your life. But when you think about then how much God values relationship, should it surprise you that the next most important thing in our lives is our bank accounts? That, that, would, that should surprise you if I, if I got up now and preached that. No. Uh, how new your car is? How much money you have? How many trophies are on your shelf? How many blue ribbons you've ever won? No, that doesn't make any sense, does it? If what God wants is to have relationship with us, then the next most important thing in our lives are our other relationships. It's expressed in the time when someone came to Jesus and said, what's the first and greatest commandment? And he said, oh, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then Jesus said, and the second greatest commandment looks like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what we discover from the teachings of Jesus is that what God values in our lives more than our money, our intelligence, our reputation, uh, more than anything else on this earth, more than all the things that that the world really values, the culture that we live in values, is what our relationships look like. In fact, we even read in this passage that we should, to the best of our abilities, have relationships of peace. Look at it again in verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone. Now, it's an interesting, it's an interesting admonition. It says, strive for peace with everyone. Does anything in this verse look like that you'll be able to live at peace with everyone? No. You won't be able to, but you are to strive for it. And how is it accomplished? How do you strive for peace with everyone? Well, you do it with holiness, 
without which no one can see the Lord. So in my relationships, uh, the first thing is that I've made peace with God. You see, I'm, I'm not going to have you and I, our, uh, the relationship that we have is not going to be characterized by peace if one of us doesn't know the Lord. If you've made peace with the Lord and I've made peace with the Lord, now we have the ability to have a relationship of peace. What most people have is strife and arguments and anger and fear and dysfunction. That's, that's what most relationships on earth look like. But God intends that our relationship looks different, that in it is contentment and happiness and joy, and that we serve one another, and we strive to have a relationship with peace. In fact, the Scripture says, Jesus himself would say, all men will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. And so the identifying mark of our lives, uh, the trademark, as you were. Uh, you, ever have, you ever have anything and it has the, the, the trademark stamped on it? And you, you don't get to, by, by legal laws of patent and copyright, you don't get to use someone else's trademark. That's their stamp. Well, when we gave our lives to Christ, God stamped something on us and he, what he stamped on us was the ability to love. Uh, until a relationship with God, I don't have the ability to love. But we love with, with, with the love that he first loved us. And so when I love you and you love me, we find ourselves looking for peace in that relationship. What is it? What is that thing that destroys relationship, steals away peace? Well, there are two parts of it. One of it is, you and I don't live in holiness. I I sin against you, and you sin against me, and pretty soon one of us is keeping score, and then the relationship just breaks down. The second part is bitterness. So look at it again here. You still got your Bible open. He begins in verse 14, strive for peace with everyone. How do you do it? With holiness. That's what it takes to see the Lord. Verse 15, see to it that, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. He's talking about our relationships, not our not our, it's not the grace of salvation there, but the grace of how we respond one to another. And how do we lose that grace of God? Well, make sure that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. In fact, what does bitterness do? Well, by it, many have become defiled. Or literally in this metaphor that we're reading in this chapter, they don't finish the race. You know what happens to us? Somewhere along this race of faith, someone wrongs us. And wrong might even be an understatement. Someone sins against us in a terrible way. Uh, Last week I talked about the love of God as Father and how he disciplines us. And, and, And after the sermon I was thinking about so many who have never experienced a loving Father here on earth. Their father hated them. Their father, they never knew their father. Their father maybe abused them, maybe even molested them. And I think of so many who, who miss that and long for that. And so God restores that in a relationship. That's what he wants with us. In a relationship where he comes as that perfect loving father. But what happens to us here on this earth is when we are abused, when we're lied to, when, when someone steals from us, when someone stabs us in the back, when we're slandered, 
when we're cheated, we tend to hold that a little bit. Instead of forgiving like Jesus forgave, instead of striving for peace in every relationship, instead of trusting it to God, who says, vengeance is mine, I can take care of you, we hold it. And when I hold a little bitterness towards one and a little bitterness towards another and then a little bit more, pretty soon my heart just gets clouded with, maybe even overcome with bitterness. Now here's the thing about bitterness. Bitterness is a cancer that is not content with just a piece of your soul. It will grow. And the bitterness that you hold towards one person will eventually infect and affect the good relationships that you have. Some of us here, we, we know somebody, and they're just a sourpuss. I mean, they're just, they're just off in all their relationships. Even people who are kind to them, they're kind of mean to in, in response. What's happened to them? They have lost the ability to love. They've lost the ability to receive love. They've lost the ability to live at peace with others. They're so jaded. They're so hurt. They're so offended. And they only focus on that. And that becomes, the scripture literally says, becomes the defilement of that, the the corruption of that. It's the rust that eats away. And pretty soon the soul doesn't have the ability to relate. And so many fail in finishing the race. And maybe it even happened in a church. Some say, I was in a church and this is what happened to me. This church did me dirty, or that person in that church, or this guy who claims to be a Christian, he was a businessman, he did me dirty. And then pretty soon, they they don't have a faith in God because of what's happened in terms of humanity. And so here the writer of Hebrews has given us two reasons. One, people fail because they substitute religion for a real relationship with God. Second, people fail because they look at other people and then they just, they just ascribe all of that to God. But there's a third reason in this passage why people fail to finish the race strong. And here's the third thing that the writer says to us. It says that the power of the birthright is exchanged for the gratification of a single meal. Now, this is, a, this is a beautiful Old Testament story that he's referring to. Let's say it again. I want you to hear it. I want you to think about it. The power of the birthright is exchanged for the gratification of a single meal. And then he talks about Esau. Do you know the story of Jacob and Esau? Uh, their dad is Isaac. Their grandfather's Abraham, okay? So you kind of know where we are now. It's, uh, it's about, uh, about uh, 2,000 years before Christ. So 4,000 years ago, it's Abraham, and then he had Isaac. He only had one son, Isaac. And then Isaac had twins, Esau and Jacob. And uh, Esau was the oldest. And so according to ancient Middle Eastern customs, he would receive the greater share, the lion's share of the inheritance from his father. Jacob, even though they were twins, he was the younger brother, he would receive much, much less. And so Esau had this. He had it because it was his birthright, because he was the firstborn of Isaac. Now, the Bible tells us about uh, Esau and Jacob, that they were twins, but they were different in every way. In fact, in every way. Uh, Esau was an outdoorsman. He loved to hunt and fish and camp, and he was outside, and he, he loved to eat 
venison and he loved the gaminess and he loved he just loved just that that kind of stuff jacob was a homebody jacob stayed at home jacob preferred the culinary arts he liked to cook he liked to read probably video games i'm just guessing he kind of stayed home the scripture says even they, they didn't even look alike that esau was a big hairy man and Jacob was a smaller, smooth-skinned kind of guy. One day, Esau had been out hunting, and he had been out for a long time, and he came in, and he was famished. He was starving. and He didn't get any game on that particular occasion, so he had nothing, and Jacob had been trying out the latest recipe, and it smelled delicious. And Esau said, man, I, I'd love to have some of that that you're making there. And Jacob said, well what's it worth to you? And he said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, what are you willing to pay me for it? I mean, you go out and you do your thing. Well, this is my thing. And how does it have value? You should pay me for it. And, and so Esau said, well, I don't have any money on me. And he goes, well, you have your birthright. You could sell your birthright to me. And the scripture said that Esau said, what's my birthright? It has no value to me at all. I mean, I only get stuff if dad dies. He's already like 140. He's never going to die. You know how long Grandpa Abraham lived? Sure, you can have my birthright. And the scripture says that Esau sold his birthright for a single meal. Later, when the time came for Isaac to give the blessing, then Esau wanted it. And the scripture says, it was too late. He couldn't get it back. He had held it in contempt. He had disdained it. Now, now it's a metaphor, the, the writer says, it's a metaphor for people who exchange that which is heavenly. When you and I receive Jesus Christ, do you know what happens? We're given a birthright. Did you know that? Because we have a relationship with God now. So we have a relationship with him as father, and he gives each and every believer a birthright, meaning you have an incredible, eternal inheritance. It's yours. It it came with salvation. It is stamped in you, the the scripture says in Ephesians, the, the earnest of it, the seal of it, the guarantee is you've been given the Holy Spirit of God. That's how you know that it's yours. And yet many of us disdain it. Many of us hold it in contempt and we trade it for what we want right now. Esau just wanted food. In fact, food could be on that list, couldn't it? There are so many who just really, they, they don't eat to live, they live to eat. We live in a whole society where the, we're the fattest people who ever lived, Americans. So food could be on that list. Spending, impulse buying could be on that list. Sure could. Money, just gathering as much money, sell your soul for money. That could be on that list. But the thing that the writer actually tells us is on the list is, see it again here? He says in verse 16, make sure that no one is sexually immoral. 
That would be to be unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Sex does this. Sex takes you right out of the race. Sex is me wanting what I want, the appetites of my very soul, me wanting what I want, and willing to set aside my birthright, my spiritual authority, that which I've been given by God that can last all eternity for just a moment's gratification. See, the body has its appetites. It's an interesting thing about appetites. I remember when I was a kid growing up, my mom would say to me sometimes, maybe I'd be eating some candy or snacks before a meal, and she'd say, she'd say you shouldn't do that. You're going to ruin your appetite. Would you know what I found out later? You can't ruin your appetite. I mean, you can get full right now, but you have another appetite coming, Right? I mean, you can eat so much. How many of you, I won't make you raise your hands, I promise. How many of you, you eat the biggest Thanksgiving meal ever. We're already in November. I'm thinking about it already. You eat the biggest Thanksgiving meal ever. You have to unbutton your pants, or maybe you're smart enough to wear elastic. You push away from the table. You think, I couldn't eat another bite one football game later, you're in the kitchen thinking, hmm, what can I get? Why is that? Because after this appetite gets full, later on you're going to get another appetite, and then you're going to get another appetite. And tomorrow you have another appetite coming. This is the way your flesh is made. It's not just food. We want houses and cars and lands and money and toys and sometimes sex with somebody else that we're not married to. Sometimes we'll just satiate that with porn. And the writer of Hebrews, these are not my words. This is right out of Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews says, and this is how some got knocked out of the race. Is they just wanted to gratify an appetite that they couldn't control. And they, they lost the blessings of all of eternity. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. Just, we'll just stick with the three that the writer of Hebrews gave us. Is it possible that Satan doesn't want you to finish the race? I want to tell you something. It's more than possible. He does not want you to finish the race. What will he come and tempt you with? Murder? I doubt it. Maybe, but I doubt it. Go down and rob First Interstate Bank tomorrow? Maybe, but I doubt it. What if he just subverts you a little bit? And at the beginning, it doesn't even look like you're hardly leaving the lane or the racetrack. But what if he just takes you into religion? What if you just can't forgive and you harbor bitterness? What if you just want to satisfy something here and now? And you think, I'll just do this this one time and then it'll be okay. Is it possible that that's how he'll knock you out of the race? It's more than possible. He does it so often. It works so readily for him. It is so effective. He uses it every day, all the time. And he's coming to use it on you. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. This morning, a a really simple but straightforward message. God loves you with an everlasting love. He longs to have relationship with you. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ. You can this morning. You can ask him 
to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life. Just tell him the best that I know how from this day forward, I'll make you the boss of my life. And the scripture says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, you can enter into relationship with the Heavenly Father through the shed blood and resurrection of His Son, Jesus. Maybe that's the beginning place for you. For some of us, we might have to confess, you know what, I'm starting, I'm starting to put church in the place of relationship with God. I'm starting to think more about religion instead of relationship, and it's time to get back in your lane. It's time to see it clearly again. Let's be honest, some of us here this morning, we need to do the work of forgiveness in our hearts. There are people in our lives who have wronged us, maybe even severely. And maybe you've said, I can never forgive that guy. But now you can see that just giving way to bitterness could be the way that Satan would keep you from finishing the race. Maybe that's the work that you need to do this morning. Maybe the work you need to do is to realize that the single most important thing that God has given you is your relationships. Only you are in that circle. And they are given to you that you might affect them for the holiness of God. And maybe this morning you're fighting a particular temptation to gratify your soul with a, with a quick credit card purchase or uh, with a, a quick visit to a porn site or you, maybe you've been contemplating a, an affair or something sexual outside your marriage. And you can see now that would be a mistake. That would move you away from finishing the race that God has for you. So this morning, I I just want you to come before the Lord to ask Him to do the work in your life that you know you want to do. Ask Him to help you to finish strong. If you'll do that, the Scripture says that God will meet you. He will meet you here by the power of His Holy Spirit. And by that same power, He will do in your life what you cannot do on your own. Father, You know everything about us. You know that we have... uh, struggles and temptations. We know that this life comes at us and, it, and the appetites of our flesh. And so we come to you this morning and we're asking you to do what we can't do. That by the power of the resurrection of your Son, by the power of your Holy Spirit whom you give us, by the certain promise that we have a birthright waiting for us, the inheritance of heaven. Father, we pray that you would help each of us to finish this race and to do it in a way that would bring honor and glory to you. And Father, if you'll do that in our lives, we promise to give you all the praise, all the majesty, all the honor. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, Hebrews 12 isn't the only place in Scripture that talks about running the race. The Apostle Paul, on his last missionary journey, he ends up in Rome. He's writing to the one that truly in life he would consider his son, Timothy And he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. He says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And then the Apostle Paul says this, And not just to me, and not to me only, but to all of those who love and are looking forward to his appearing. You and I are running a race. God wants us to finish well. And for those who finish well, 
there is a crown of righteousness, not just for the Apostle Pauls of the world, but to every one of us who love him and look forward to his appearing. for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.